Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Biz Lobby's podcast. With fall event season kicking up after kind of a slow summer, uh, we're excited to get things started with events and also our podcast. So with that said, we have a very special guest in studio today, Monroe Mayor Friday Ellis. Yes. Thanks so much for having me on and um, getting ready to talk to you guys about all the fun things we've got going on in Northeast Louisiana. Absolutely. And it sounds like you guys have been very busy. But before we kick things off, I have to ask, I'm assuming the kids are back in school. <laughs> How was your summer? Did you guys go on any fun trips or oh anything? Oh my gosh, yeah. We we just um, we went to uh, Savannah and we had a great time. You know, we toured that city, um, got to see all the sights with the kiddos, and it was fun. You know, I've got three and so, uh, even though I'm mayor, I still have uh, daddy duty, and I still most drop, importantly, yes, yeah, I still drop kids off at school. I, I still take care of that. But no, the kids had fun. I always joke and say, you know, everybody's happy and healthy, and I still have teenagers who still talk to me. So I guess life's good. Hey, that's a win-win right there. Right, you know, right. that's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, we actually, um, our Emerging Leaders Council was actually in Monroe just a couple weeks ago. And yep. for those of you who don't know, our Emerging Leaders Council is really a program at Lobby that um, brings in young business leaders from all over the state um, once or twice a year to kind of meet different folks, different change makers in the community. And this year we were in Monroe. So kind of tell us about that. Where'd you bring them? I heard you were quite the tour guide. Yeah. So we we give what we call the not so chamber of commerce tour is okay. what we labeled it because we really want people to not just see the shiny. We want people to see what we struggle with as a community, uh, whether it be quality housing stock that we need, whether it be blight issues, whether it be crime, um, education, we, we tackle it all because we want to see where we're making progress and where we can make progress because ultimately that drives the conversation with people. Um, it allows people from different parts of the state to understand we have similar challenges, although scalable, uh, to whatever size city that you live in. And to sit there listening with the, with the young emerging leaders, um, You've got some smart people in that group. You've got some very, when I say smart, you've got some committed people to their communities who really want to see progress. And that's what I love being in those rooms with folks. So yeah, we take them on a tour, show them our sites, show them the fun things about Monroe. And um, this is our opportunity for them to love it the way we love it. And we're so happy to show them our city. Absolutely. Well, I know that they had a wonderful time. Um, and a lot of those guys are from, you know, South Louisiana. So I think it was it was a different world up there that you guys you guys showed them the best yes, time. It is. So, um, so on that note, before we kind of get started in what you're doing policy-wise in Monroe and the successes that you've had, Tell us, for those who don't know Friday Ellis, tell us about um, your background as a small business owner going into now public service. Uh, kind of just walk us through your story. Yeah, so I was born and raised in a small town in northeast Louisiana called Rayville, uh, in Richland Parish. And so my father was a small business owner, and I was a kid who was just clung to his leg at the furniture store and would travel routes with him and, and visit people. And, you know, I, I had it in my blood, the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, United States Marine Corps veteran, served right after 9-11, served my country. Uh, eventually met my wife, Ashley, who sits on the State Board of Education uh, on Bessie. And, you know, we both were sitting around. I was a small business owner, had a cigar shop, had my own line of cigars on the market. My wife, lifelong educator, and we both sat there at the table and said, you know, our sphere of influence is, you know, say 
so small or whatever, uh, how can we really affect positive outcomes uh, on a larger scale? Scale, And we knew to do that, you had to set the schedule. You had to set the agenda. You had to go after policy. And so with a lot of prayer and petition, we both um, think about it. We're on the bookends. Mm-hmm. She's on the education, the early intervention. We're on the back end providing uh, a great quality of life and help, helpfully make an environment where people can create jobs to uh, sustain outcomes and uh, incomes. And so um, we just threw our name in the hat and it has been wonderful for us. Um, Three and a half years in, uh, I I say it's a heck of a way to wake up every day that you get to help people. And I, I love every minute of it. Absolutely. Well, and you've had quite the term. I mean, you know, we, we read, it seems like we read something new every day about these different uh, initiatives and projects that you're That's doing right. around Monroe. Um, and so kind of, I want to talk a little bit about that as far as from the economic development mm-hmm. point of view, given your background and um, you clearly saw a need for change. Mm-hmm. And so tell us about some things economic development wise that you've implemented, um, such as the small business meetups, um, different training sessions for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, oftentimes we uh, cut business owners out of the feedback loop and we don't take enough time to sit down and to have a conversation about the things that that are challenging uh, local folks. So the fastest way to grow is to figure out ways that you can help your locals expand. Uh, figure out ways that you can help them scale up as a business. And so we started meetups around the city just to get good feedback loops, uh, talking with contractors, talking with developers, talking with small business vendors to figure out if there are some things that that we can do to be better or, or people that we can help facilitate relationships with in the community to help them scale up as a business. And so that, number one, it was the first thing we needed to do is create a feedback loop for our business owners to tell us how we're doing Secondly, and I, I hope folks that are listening can, can hear me when I say, one thing that I've always learned is that bureaucracy is the laziest form of injustice to a community when it comes to delivering projects or it comes to delivering um, um, you know, programs. And so what I saw as my time as a small business owner is there was just so much red tape and so many barriers in front of businesses. And so during, so tomorrow night at the council meeting, we're rearranging the charter to really streamline that permitting process, really having a centralized focus. You go to one place, get your permits, you get everything done in one one stop shop. And uh, we've that came from these small business meetups and, and councils. And so there's little things that reflect it in policy that you can do to help businesses thrive. But ultimately, it's being responsive as an administration. Um, we're not always going to get it right, but it's imperative that we make it right. Do you feel like, how, how was the response when you started having these meetups? I mean, I, I know the business owners were obviously very happy, but what has been the overall response um, from your constituents? Yeah, they, they like it. They like the fact that I show up when called. They like the fact that if I can't be there, we have somebody to show up. It, that's why you put people in office, to be able to help solve problems. If we're not there to show up each day to help solve problems or to help people, then maybe we should find another profession. And so it has been good. We've got a long way to go. Uh, Like anything, there are things that we have to abide by. There's laws, there's regulations that we have to abide by that the average uh, private business doesn't have to go through, even the procurement process and things. So it's a little bit slower. uh, But right now we're moving at the speed of trust, and it's been a good uh, it's been a good feedback from all of our vendors uh, and our uh, citizens. 
It sounds like it. Um, can you talk a little bit about Monroe's history? It's kind of a business hub, a, a place very welcome to entrepreneurship. Um, and not to mention you're, you're close to the I-12 corridor. You really are yeah. primed for success. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we, you know, Monroe has a history of building Titans. You know, everybody's heard the stories about how Delta, Delta Airlines was started there, how Coca-Cola was first mass bottled there. You know, the story of Lumen and how it began in, in, a, in someone's living room as a switchboard telephone operators in, in Oak Ridge and how it has grown to the largest, one of the largest telecommunication companies there is an overwhelming entrepreneurial spirit that's still alive and well in Northeast Louisiana. Um, and, and that's what I find that is so unique. There's creators from the small business, everything down to artists and artisans, all the way up to people who are, you know, these Fortune 130, Fortune 120 companies that are located there. And it's, it, it's great to see. And it's, it's a blessing to be able to help people through that process from whether it's an idea in their head uh, to, to one day cut ribbon and it's a reality. Definitely. Um, in that vein, so I, I recently am taking over the transporta- our lobby's transportation council. And so mm-hmm. very interested in all the news about New Orleans to Baton Rouge passenger rail um, that and, you know, all those upcoming projects. Can you talk a little bit about Monroe's passenger rail station plans? Yeah. So first, I want to say thank you to the Southern Rail Commission. Uh, I want to say thank you to uh, our our legislators who've invested in in this project. I need to say thank you to Transportation for America and everybody who has been at this for over 30 and 40 years for passenger rail expansion. Uh, as you know, uh, we sit across the I-20 corridor. It's it can, This line will connect from Meridian all the way to Dallas, which ultimately connects Atlanta to Dallas. And then you can hit the switch in Meridian and go to New York or New Orleans. And so... What that means is, is that it connects all of our research centers. It connects us to mega regions to be able to draw from talent because now the workforce has changed. We just talked about that. You don't have to live within a city to be able to work there. Um, The way people can change the way that their billable hours are when they're riding on Amtrak and working at the same time. Um, we think about traveling physicians. We think about talent that we can pull from. But not only that, how it connects these rural areas to be able to go to healthcare hubs. Of course, with the addition of VCOM Osteopathic Medical School there in Northeast Louisiana, with ULM being the uh, the hub of our health science university, we're telling a whole different story in Northeast Louisiana and the opportunities that we have in passenger rail will be able to help that. We are already fielding RFPs from people who want to be close to these stations. And so we got together, uh, hired an engineering firm to to really pull this thing together, and we hired out for some capacity building. And we got together with Mayor Walker and Rustin, uh, Mayor Arsenault in Shreveport, and Mayor Flags in Vicksburg. And this was one of the very first times where this was an across-state-line compact between municipalities. And so we knew that this train had to go through our downtowns. And so we all passed through our councils. We put up our money. We applied for the Fed State Partnership while we were getting ready to apply. And then uh, Southern Rail Commission and a few folks came together and Amtrak joined our application. And now they're the lead. (laughs) It's wonderful. And now when you start thinking about Baton Rouge to New Orleans, you start thinking about Baton Rouge to Shreveport, you start thinking about connecting all of these things. We're really just catching up to other parts of the world when it comes to how we move our people. 
And so it's really exciting for me to play a small role in this. Um, it's great to be able to work with these other mayors to understand that we we can do big things. So we were at we were on the hill, uh, you know, pounding pavement, knocking doors from everybody from Texas to Georgia. Uh, their members gave us a seat at the table, and they usually don't meet with folks out of state. And they were so excited about this initiative, and they were so excited to see mayors at the table really leading the charge. That's refreshing. You yeah. know, like all of this, you know, everybody wants to see – this happen and and see its success. So um, on that, for those who haven't been following the status of the project, what are the next steps? Where are we at? You know, to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So right now we are, we have applied um, in a comp- with uh, Amtrak for the Fed State Partnership. And what that's going to do is really going to take a look at the way that freight and passenger rail interface with one another. They're going to take a really hard uh, look at the infrastructure there at that switch in Meridian, Mississippi to be able to handle it. But our infrastructure is there. Um, there was a feasibility study years ago, I guess around 2015 or 16, to show that this line cash flowed. Mm-hmm. This line cash flowed. So it won't be state supported. It'll be federally supported route and that the infrastructure is there, we are ready to go. And so, as you know, these trains move a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And so all the signalization, the switching, the safety mechanisms have to be there. But we should know something in November um, based upon the status of the um, of the application. Now, the only thing that may get in the way is when we start looking down at the House budget versus the Senate budget. The House budget has some cuts to the Fed-State Partnership which will really narrow our ability. I mean, it's going to get really tight to Mm -hmm. figure out who's going to get that first round. But if, you know, we can, I guess, find some kind of continuing resolution that we can, you know, whether it's a 10% cut, it's even better. But I don't know. That's not... That's not my, uh, I guess that's <laughs> that's not my focus right now. It's theirs, and I have full confidence in our, um, I have full confidence in our delegation and in our representatives and our members there that they support this. And we have had great support from Congresswoman Letlow, uh, great support from Senator uh, Cassidy, and we have great confidence that it's going to happen. And Amtrak, you know, they're already spending their own money right now in Meridian mm-hmm. to be sure to get ready for this. And and I can tell you there's a lot of things I could put forward, but when you have the vice president of expansion and uh, passenger rail expansion in your city and there are hundreds of people there mm-hmm. so excited, it it left a lasting impression. And they're still these executives are still talking about their time on the I-20 corridor. That's very exciting. So yeah. what would your pitch be to those who may – um, you know, kind of going back to the budget cuts, you know, may be on the fence about this or doubters. Mm-hmm. What would your message be to them? Yeah, so my message with them simply be we see the potential of what this can do. When you have your medical institutions, your universities, your, uh, your research departments, when you have your major employers along that region telling you what a tremendous boost to their economy or their bottom line that this would be, um, there's, there's really no other thing to say than we need your support on this. The money's there. Um, for the first time in a long time, the money's there. We're not, talk, we're not arguing over money. Um, right now we're arguing, I guess not arguing, but we're, we're talking about when and how uh, and how fast we can make this go. And so uh, I'm excited. 
it, it is something to know that one day that you can look back on and see people, inter- you know, you can interface with passenger rail differently and see people getting on and off that train and to know that you played a small role in that and, and to help the quality of life of folks. I, I tell people all the time, this is, this is something that will be a tremendous game changer for our region, especially in Northeast Louisiana. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, speaking of game changers, you know, when I was prepping for this podcast, I was trying to go through all of this, your ideas and all <laughs> of your stuff. And there's so much out yeah. there about your plans for the city of Monroe. Yes. Um, just to name a few, because I want to talk to you about them. So yeah. th- your downtown strategic plan, right. parks and rec master plan, music strategy for the reason for the, for the region, excuse me. Um, so you got, you have a lot, lot of stuff going on. So can yeah. you tell us a few more of those, uh, things you have in, just tell us what you're working on. So all of those things equal one thing, quality of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, economic development has two sides to a coin. You know, one side being your traditional um, sense to where you're, you know, helping com- helping companies grow and expand. Also, recruitment efforts. Start taking a dive into your sites. Be sure that they're ready, that you're marketing them correctly. But the other side is you have to create a city where people see themselves living. And a part of that is to start looking at the things that you do well. We're a riverfront community. We're a vibrant, historic riverfront community. And the riverfront has not been developed the way it needed to be in 50, 60 years. And so we started with 25 blocks of our downtown, with our downtown strategic plan. It looks to everything into um, uh, transportation, how people move to and from, beautification. It looks into ways that we can incentivize businesses through the historic tax credits, new market tax credits, and put a capital stack to entice people to develop in downtown Monroe. Uh, One of our first purchases was the place where Coca-Cola was first bottled. It's Mm. 160,000 square foot, as we envision, a mixed-use facility off the Washita River with housing and retail. And it can be a place to where our community members can gather and uh, come together over commonalities and take advantage of the views of our river. Uh, With that is going to be, we go out in December for a four and a half million dollar marina that goes off the backside um, that will have fuel slips and everything. So our people who enjoy our outdoors can come there as well and to interface with our city uh, through the river. Uh, The other things are parks and recreation master plans. Uh, it's my opinion that the way that you invest in your parks is the it shows people how much you care about your community. It goes that old adage, uh, show me where you spend your time and money and I'll show you what you value. Our parks are such a large um, feel-good piece to the city of Monroe and we have some beautiful parks. They just have not been organized in a way. So we're working with Carbo Landscape to come in and help us put some structure to it. Uh, We also work with Manning Architecture at our recreation centers to create a place where children want to go and um, play video games or play basketball or to do all kinds of fun activities. And these are all places that uh, investments that show our folks that we're putting our dollars um, where they want to see. But I think the biggest I think the biggest piece to this is the, the community engagement piece. All of these plans are not my plans. These are the community's plans. We've had over 100-plus opportunities to engage with the public for them to come out uh, and tell us what they want to see at our parks. And so now, you, if you've attended one of these meetings, you could see your ideas reflected in those plans because ultimately it's my job to build a city uh, that reflects us and that's uniquely us. And so one of my favorite activities – 25 block strategic master plan. They had this um, 
map laid out on the floor and they invited children from around the community to come in. And they had different stations and they had um, buildings there that kids could start their own business. And then they put stickers on them and then they put places where there are abandoned lots that people say, this is where I want a community park and ways and and ways that our community can interface with the with the river and and connect our communities. And it was so much fun to see that. And one day I want a child when they graduate from ULM to come back and say that was, you know, that was my idea, by the way. Mm -hmm. And we just have to again, you have to start changing the way people talk about their community. When people have an administration and or leadership that we talked about that feedback loop that listens and is responsive to their needs. Um, it builds trust. And so, like we, I said earlier, we're moving at the speed of trust. Uh, and I think people can see that reflected in all the plans that we do is that has been nothing more than their voice and what they would like to see reflected in the city of Monroe. Well, it's, it's, I'm just inspired sitting here. I kind of want to move to Monroe now. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, but, but I feel like, because um, they're bought in, your community's bought into this yes. vision and what Monroe could be. And in one right. term that you've done all of these, you know, not you, like, as you said, yes. but the community, it's really, mm-hmm. um, really grown. And so Lobby, we are actually releasing um, our LA23 plan this Thursday. And what we did is kind of what you said, you know, you met with all these business leaders. What problems do we have and how do we solve them? Um, And ours is, you know, kind of a statewide um, plan. We did the same thing. We talked with business owners, but stakeholders from across the state. But what was interesting is almost the number one thing um, that we found was how business leaders are concerned about quality of life. Because if you can't get people to move here, Mm -hmm. then you don't have a workforce. You don't have a – why would you move your business here if you – if you don't want, you, you know, if your employees don't want to leave here. And so it's encouraging because you obviously get it and you, you're doing it in Monroe. Yeah. One of, I, I was listening to, uh, between here and Baton Rouge, I'm always got some kind of TED talk or some business <laughs> podcast or something I'm listening to. And it told the story about um, Oklahoma City probably about 10, 15 years ago, and they were trying to land a very large tech firm. It wound up in Austin, Texas. They were the last one of the last two in a site selection process, and they were fortunate enough to hear back from the um, the company. And at the time, I believe the mayor said, I can understand why you went to Austin um, because, you know, there's a lot of tech around there. And he, kept, he says, well, no, sir, that's not the reason. He said, sir. He said, I just couldn't see my people happy here. And that was a wake-up moment. And if you look now at Oklahoma City, it's it's ranked one of the best quality of life places in the country because they made those strategic investments. We're not recruiting, not only we're not only recruiting companies, we're recruiting people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you start looking at today, regardless of how we feel about this generation or the next generation or whatever, the fact is, is that our parents felt that way about us. Mm-hmm. We have, again, when we start talking about retaining talent, where's your feedback loop? Look at my staff. We've probably lowered the average age of an administration staff by 20 years because they have to be at the table whenever we're making those decisions on how we grow as a city. And if they're not at the table, what do you say? They're on the menu. (laughs) And so, uh, but it goes back to um, having that feedback loop from your people and investing in your people and learning and quality of life. You have to create a place this next generation imagine themselves living places, then they go find the work. Right. If this next generation can't see themselves living in your city, there's nothing you can do to recruit them. Mm-hmm. Um, they are starting to what they call life hack. They use websites like WalkScore. 
to talk about, hey, what is there? What is this city's public transit look like? How how close am I to work? I don't have to buy a car. I don't have to pay insurance. I have to do all these things. And guess what? My quality of life is greater because I have more money in my pocket because I live here and I can enjoy all the things that I value. Right. right? And so whether that be quality trails or outdoor living or um, uh, whether that be bike riding or a vibrant arts community, Mm -hmm. that was another big thing for us is to have the arts embedded into everything that we do. And so let, because you have all these people who make a living from their art, mm-hmm. whether it be music, like we talked about the music strategy, um, they make their living doing this and, and they are a part of our community and, the, and there is a music economy in the state of Louisiana. And if we can help them scale up as well and to be a part of even government, government doesn't have to be so ugly, mm-hmm. right? So whether it's a new tile that we're laying out at a community center that we can hire an artist to come in to be able to lay it out in a certain pattern and provide them an income as well, we have to think about every citizen within our community and, um, you know, when people go places, when they see beautiful, they feel beautiful. And I want people to feel beautiful when they come to Monroe. Dude, yeah. It's just inspiring to hear that you're making those changes happen mm-hmm. because you and it solves so many different problems, you know, that it does. Yeah. Yeah. So we were in we were in D.C. and I noticed every patch of green. There was there was a, a butt in a seat somewhere, every patch of green. And Kelsey, my economic development strategist, she was like, look, People in big cities interface with parks differently. They don't have a one-acre backyard like we do in Louisiana. So for your parks to be to thrive, they have to be exciting and, ref- and reflect your community. And so um, I, I encourage everybody, if you want to see what we're talking, as I always say, it's the box top to the puzzle. You got to see it. Uh, <laughs> it, it. It also helps your community understand which direction that you're going in. Uh, go to oneroad.city one row, O-N-E-R-O-E dot city, and it will show you all the strategic plans that we've put together. There are some short-term projects we already started rolling out on. Um, you know, another big thing I want to say too is, and I, I really want to stress this, is is talking about regionalism, especially in where we're at, uh, working with other mayors across the river into West Monroe, Mayor Stacy Mitchell, Ronnie Walker in Ruston, Mayor Arsenault in Shreveport. It's imperative that our leaders work with one another. Um, with all of this money that's coming down, um, you know, through different um, divisions and departments in Washington, a lot of that, the scoring rubric can help you when you partner across state lines. I, I mean, uh, across parish lines. Uh, Some of our biggest challenges that we face are across parish lines and being able to work with our police jurors, being able to work with other mayors to go in. uh, Something is like broadband. You know, we partnered with West Monroe. We're getting ready to be fiber to the home, Mm -hmm. uh, fiber to the business. Uh, West Monroe is doing something similar. Um, Working together to solve these challenges with not just your own team, but with teams uh, in your region is going to help because if you think about Monroe, we have to govern regionally because I feel responsible for at least 11 other surrounding parishes because we are the education hub. We are the employment hub. And so the decisions that we make not only have to serve our people, but have to serve folks who drive in to work there um, and and to fill those critical jobs in in our large employers. And so uh, one thing I I really want people to understand is that people are working together in Northeast Louisiana um, when it comes to economic development, quality of life, uh, new leadership across the board everywhere, and it's good to be able to strategize with these folks. Um, it, it's a it's a new day, and uh, and I think the other thing I'm very proud of is just the overall 
general spirit and attitude of people that we're really kicking apathy in the butt. Like this is the best that it was ever going to be. And it all comes down to people starting to believe again that we can build Titans again in Monroe and the ability to be able to um, achieve that. And I think folks have kind of knocked that chip off their shoulder a little bit and said and got their swagger back in Monroe. And it's it's fun to watch it happen. Absolutely. Well, the first as you're talking, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, Ronald Reagan's commercial where he says it's morning again in America. I feel like it's morning again in Monroe for absolutely under an Ellis administration. Yeah. Um, But thank you so much for for being down here. I think I speak for our entire audience when we say that we would love to have more of you uh, in in across the state, but especially here in the capital region. So thank you so much for coming by uh, and we appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate you guys having me on.